you're probably very familiar with the book of Jonah. Jonah is one of those books where we know it from whenever we are a wee boy or girl and we can remember the storyline because it just, it just makes such a good story, doesn't it? You have this prophet who hears from God and he, he, instead of going where God wants him to, his first reaction is he gets on a boat and he goes to the far side of the world and there's a massive storm and he has to get thrown off the boat. He gets eaten by a fish. He goes and eventually gets vomited, which is like if you're a boy or a girl, you're if you, whatever age you are, vomit is a great verb, isn't it? And he gets vomited onto the shore and he goes and he tells the city of Nineveh all that God had told him to tell. And the city then accept the word of God. They, they, they mourn and they turn from their wicked ways. And Jonah then goes and sits on a hillside afterwards and he has this shoot that comes up behind him to give him shade and it withers and he's more frustrated at the plant than the city. And it makes this brilliant story. But here's the thing, is this book more than a nice little Bible story? What's this book really all about? You know, there, there's, there's four main things that people think this book is about. One of them is people actually think this book is about racism because Jonah doesn't want to go to the, the, the pagan Ninevites. He's far happier with his own people. And it almost seems like a story of Jonah turning from that way and coming to realize that they matter as much to God as he does. And other people think it's about social justice because Jonah goes into the city of Nineveh and he doesn't tell them to repent of their sins. He tells them to, to, to turn away from their wickedness. They don't worship Yahweh. They don't um, become followers of the Jewish faith. They don't become worshipers of the same God that we, become, that we are worshipers of. So people think, oh, this is an example of God doing something where he is concerned about wickedness in the world and it being stopped. Another thing that people sometimes think this book is about is missionary work. Jonah told to go be a missionary to Nineveh, but he doesn't listen and he goes out and he tries to flee, but he gets his comeuppance in the end and he has to come back and go to Nineveh anyway. And it's almost like a, a story that shows God's telling you to go share uh, your faith with your friends, your family, and if you don't go, dear love you, you'll be swallowed by a fish. I don't think this is a story about any of those, those three things because those three things mistake who's the, the main character of this book. Because the main character of this book isn't Jonah. The main character of this book is the covenant God of Jonah. And what we see God doing throughout this book is being gracious time and time and time again. The story of Jonah encapsulates one thing, and that is that our God is so, so gracious to us. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I've got three points and I'm so proud of myself for the first time ever. They all begin with the letter G. But we've got, we're going to first see how things had gone wrong. We're going to then see how God gives grace. And then finally, we're going to see God's gift that is foreshadowed and spoken of here. So the first thing we see is where things have gone wrong. And the first way we see that things have gone wrong is that, as we saw last week, Jonah hears God speaking to him saying, go up to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And rather than him going up to go to Nineveh, he goes up to go on a boat to flee to the far side of the known world to Tarshish. 
And in some ways, we get set up the scene of kind of how that happens as we follow through the book. Because he goes on the, on the boat and he is caught up in this storm. He gets thrown into the sea. And verse 17 encapsulates what has happened to him as soon as he gets thrown into the sea. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And then the rest of this chapter begins to flow as we begin to hear what Jonah's prayer was. Jonah cries out to distress, first of all. If you look down with me, he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Jonah still realizes that God is in control of this horrible situation. And as he is plunged into the water, he begins to realize that no matter as much as he would like to think that he's in control of his own fate, he's subject to the will of God. And as he gets thrown into the sea, the waters begin to cover him and it begins to sink down. If you look down at verse three, it says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea and your currents swirled about me and your waves and your breakers swept over me. I've only, I've only ever come close to drowning once. It was in a lake and I was swimming with some friends and my knee dislocated. And suddenly, overcome with the pain, I, I, I wasn't able to swim anymore. And I, I, I fell and blew the water and I couldn't get up because my knee was in such agony. And there's this moment as the water begins to enclose around you and the coldness of the water begins to feel so much more pointed and needle-like than it did before. And it's this moment of helplessness. I was really fortunate that day. Um, one of my friends, Timmy, was in a craft or in a little raft beside me and he managed to pull me up onto it. But you can imagine what Jonah's going through as he gets thrown into this whirlwind of a sea and they, he is enveloped by the waters. And what's his first thought? Is it of his family? Is it of his friends? His first thought is this. You look down at verse four. He says, I have been banished from your sight. He feels that he is drifting further and further away from God. And what we see through this chapter is Jonah's gradual descent further and further and further down from the ship to the sea to the wheel to the depths. And yet, he says, I will, look up to, I will look again towards your holy temple. So he's still longing for God, but that begins to feel like it's getting further and further away. If you look down at verse five, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of mountains. The depths of depths. He has sank down to the earth or the land beneath. 
barred me in forever. This ends with Jonah as low as you can get. Spiritually speaking, he's fleed from God and he's went through this terrible experience. But also, do you notice how he describes where he ends up in verse one? He says, in my distress, I called the Lord and he answered me from the deep in the realm of the dead. And if you're reading from a King James, it'll say hell there, but that's not maybe not exactly 100% right. The word is Sheol um, in the Hebrew and Sheol is used in the Old Testament to describe one thing. It's where the dead go. It is as low as you can get. It is the depths and it is despair. Sheol is the place where there's no coming back from for the Old Testament reader outside of resurrection. Sheol is the last stop. And that's why Jonah says that it barred him in forever or the land that's barred in forever. He is in the depths from which there is no return. And the waters have fully taken him. And I feel that's maybe how we could feel at the moment. We maybe feel that amidst all that's going on at the minute, there is, we are so deep in these waters that the light can't get through anymore. Maybe we feel like the depression we thought was on, we were on top of has suddenly flared its ugly head again whenever we realize we've got nothing to distract ourselves with and we're staring at the same four walls. Maybe we have been forced to have so many hard conversations with loving families in this past week, wanting to comfort them and we can't physically. Maybe in our confinement, we've realized there are sins that we didn't know we struggled with until we had all this free time. Or maybe you feel enveloped by the coldness and the dreariness of doom that is the six o'clock news at the minute. We may feel that we are in the depths, the depths from which there is no coming back from, a darkness from which no light can penetrate through. But the amazing story of Jonah is that even whenever things have gone wrong and we are in the depths from which there is, it seems, humanly speaking, like there is no return, God's grace still comes through. That's the second thing we see. Do you see this wonderful word that that starts off uh, the second half of verse six? It says, but you, my Lord, brought my life from the pit. This is not a passage of endless despair. Even though Jonah is in the depths of the pit of Sheol, in the midst of death, in the belly of this wheel, God's grace comes first. And so often I think whenever we think of the story of Jonah, we turn it into a little story about how Jonah was really bad and disobeyed God and went off and did his own thing. He got his comeuppance and he turned around and he made it right. So we say, don't be like Jonah. Follow God the first time you hear him. Whenever we miss the fact that how gracious is God to Jonah time and time again. This story takes Jonah, a Jew, one of God's special people, 
And it's a story of how Jonah was told by God to take the amazing story of the gospel, not just to the Jewish people, but even to foreign and pagan people like those in Nineveh. It's God's grace going out in such an amazing and spectacular way. And Jonah, given this message to go to these people with this great news, he flees and he runs away and he ends up on a ship. So instead of going to a city full of pagans, he's on a ship full of pagans. And like a reluctant missionary. Do you notice what happens in verse one or in chapter one, sorry? Whenever the storm is, is, is beginning to churn up and the sailors are running around frantically thinking, what can we do to stop it? And they're praying to their gods and they're offering sacrifices to their idols. They find Jonah not praying, not doing any of that. And they ask him who he is and ask him who God is and say, pray to your God. But Jonah doesn't pray to his God. Have you ever noticed that? Chapter two is the only time that Jonah begins to pray. The pagan sailors who verses earlier were worshiping and trying to call out to their false gods for help end up in the end of chapter one calling on God. And not only that, if you look down, they call on him in his covenant name of Yahweh, which is in your translation of the Bibles is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. These pagan sailors are, are shown grace even in the midst of this storm. And the reluctant Jonah has not shared one single ounce of gospel truth with them other than he worships Yahweh and is an Israelite. And so Jonah gets swallowed by a wheel and so often at that point we say, isn't this a a, a wonderful story where Jonah gets his comeuppance? But think of what happens at the end of all this. God shows grace to the Ninevites, sending Jonah to them. He shows grace to the sailors, saving them in the midst of the storm and calling them to worship him. He shows grace to Jonah, bringing him back from the dead. Have you ever wondered why would Jonah write a book like this that makes him seem so bad? And I think the only, one of the reasons we can trust that this story probably happened and is really true is because why would Jonah make up such a, an offensive story about himself unless to show the graciousness of God? There's a really wonderful uh, old writer called Theodoret um, who, who wrote in the early church. And he said that he compared Jonah writing about this experience to David writing about his adultery and said, the blessed David has made a written record of his sin, proclaiming the mercy of God and indicating the cure of sinners by repentance. So also the revered Jonah was written down in a narrative of his flight, the punishment which is laid upon him and the salvation that is freely granted. What's going on in this passage? God is showing grace and giving salvation freely. Which is why Jonah can say these beautiful words in verse seven. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah is shown grace upon grace upon grace. 
And that's what this story is about. A God who shows grace time and time and time again to people who don't deserve it. Like pagan Ninevites, like pagan sailors, like unrepentant, willfully disobedient prophets like Jonah and the sinful people like me. God shows amazing, undiluted, potent grace and holds out his salvation. And yet, as wonderful as this story is, and as encouraging and beautiful the picture of God's grace through the life of Jonah is, it is but a foretaste and a glimpse behind the curtain of God's will to what he would ultimately do. And that's where we see the final thing in this passage, which is the gift God gives us. I wonder if you would look with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 38, begins talking about a thing called the sign of Jonah. Let's hear God speak to us. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we wanted to see a sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man had three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand upon judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. The story of Jonah is a wonderful story and our kids, I'm sure, no doubt love it for its goriness, for its stories of massive fish. And it is a great story of the gospel of God. But think about how much more enriching and fulfilling this story is when it meets its final, full, complete narrative high point where the sign of Jonah is fully revealed in Jesus. Jesus who instead of being swallowed by a whale and taken uh, into it for three days and three nights, is taken into the grave for there for three days and three nights. And Jesus, rather than descending to the very depths of the oceans, to the roots of mountains, Jesus descends to the dead and he preaches to the captives and he, he leads death itself and people out of their graves in wonderful resurrection freedom to that wonderful day that we celebrated a couple of weeks ago where we celebrate that Jesus came back from the dead. The waters did not take him and the grave could not hold him. And God's grace extended further and further again where grace was shown not just to Jonah, not just to the sailors, not just to Nineveh, But to people like us in Northern Ireland, thousands of miles away, as God's grace breaks forth in an amazing way we could never imagine, as our God gives grace and life. We don't need to be afraid to come before our God and we don't need to stay far away. We don't need to feel guilt and shame for our sins. But we can know that we can leave them fully with his son, Jesus.
and he will give us grace upon grace upon grace because that is the sort of God we worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing good news that Jesus rose from the dead. And we thank you for this story that shows it in like and in type with Jonah. And we pray that we would rejoice in the sign of Jonah. In Jesus' name, amen.